0: So in essence, listen, as we learn this, what I'm trying to say to you today is as believers, we need to learn how to put our life and our confidence in the blood covenant. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. If you weren't here last week, you know, basically what I communicated last week was this, is that we feel like God has given us as a church a a distinct word for this upcoming year. We believe that that word, uh, you know, not only gives us direction, but it also gives us, you know, some intentionality and purpose as we move forward in the next year. And, And once again, if you weren't here, you know, that word was simply this. It was the word order. And, you know, from our hearts, we just believe that God is saying that, that he wants us to uh, cultivate, you know, a greater sense of order here in the ministry. And, you know, that can be many things, but I, but I think the heart of it is wrapped around one verse, and I'll just share it with you and we'll shift gears here. It says this in Titus 1.5, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order... The things that are lacking. And so, you know, just for you guys that maybe weren't here, that's kind of our, you know, I guess our goal over the next few months and the next year is just to put things in order that we know that are lacking. At the end of the day, it's really about quality. Amen. So anyways, so so as I have uh, prayed for a proper response to that word from the Lord, uh, you know, I've just felt impressed in my heart that I, that I need to start a new series with you guys today. And you know, just from the idea of this, you know, we all have our own history and our own journey with God. And what I want to begin to teach today is simply, we're going to lay a foundation and may overwhelm you. Hopefully not, but but just the the idea. Is simply, this is that th- this is something that has dramatically changed uh, my life and my relationship with God. And I don't I don't know why, but I've been I've been preaching for over 20 years and I've never fully engaged and just preached this before. And so I believe that obviously now's the time. And, uh, you know, I, my hope is, is that just the areas maybe that are lacking in our lives, that, that God will sure those things up as we hear this, as he gives us revelation. So um, let me just maybe ask you for three things as we do this. Uh, this is going to, number one, it's going to take a lot of patience from us because it's going to take weeks to really unfold because there's so much that's packed into this subject. But I just ask, you know, obviously when something takes a while, you know, I would just encourage you to be faithful and to be hungry. And I just believe as we do those three things, man, as we're patient, as we're faithful, and as we're hungry, uh, God will meet us where we're at. And, and I believe that our relationship with Him and not only uh, our relationship with Him, but also with others will grow exponentially. Can you believe with that for me? Please, amen, amen. Let's pray and we'll get rolling. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. Uh, but Father, most of all, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love that you have for us. And God, we so thank you for your word. Uh, God, that you've given us the ability to just know you and to know your heart and to know your plan and your purpose for our lives. And so, Lord, as we come today, God, with open hearts, we just pray that you would speak to us loud and clear. Father, we pray that if there's anything that's in us that needs to fall off, and uh, God, if there's anything that needs to be added to our lives, God, that you'll do it today. And so, Lord, we just uh, open up our spiritual ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And Father, we thank you that as we move forward over the next few weeks, God, that you're going to meet us here and you're going to change us in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen. So, listen, I want to begin this morning uh, by asking a pretty straightforward question that just might require a gut level, honest, and maybe even a, an uncomfortable response or answer from us. Here's the question. Is, is have you ever found yourself, talking to you, have you ever found yourself reading about the lives of the many characters that's found in the pages of this book? Like an Abraham, like a Moses, a David, a Deborah, a Mary, whoever you want to throw in there. But have you found yourselves reading about their lives and, and kind of felt like that those guys were keenly aware of something that you had absolutely no clue about? Anybody? Anybody? So I, you know, listen, I'll say for me, I've read the book from cover to cover. There's been many a times that I've read about people's lives and I go, you know, they're just getting something that I, I'm completely unaware of. And, and, you know, I just believe today that, you know, in this sense that have we ever wondered if that missing something that, you know, that thing we're missing, if that was the secret ingredient that enabled those spiritual giants to do things like this, save Abraham, for example, that Abraham, uh, you know, that, that, that once again, that missing something gave him the unquestionable trust in God's promise that maybe for a guy like Moses to have an an unwavering faith in spite of the circumstance or for Elijah to have the unconventional boldness to pray and ask God for the impossible or how about a Daniel to have an uncommon courage in the face of adversity or for David to consistently offer God unhindered worship when others refuse to do so. Or how about the prophets to boldly speak with an unusual authority in the name of God? Or how about for Paul to live a you know out a life of salvation in such an uncompromising way? Am I making sense to you today? That listen, I just believe that uh, you know when we look at their lives, that the answer is yes. That maybe there is something that's missing from our lives that not only was the secret ingredient that allowed them to walk in such an uncommon way before the Lord, uh, but it also was the basis for every one of their. Great exploits, uh, you know, that they did in the name of God. So, listen, if you're anything like me and you're an inquisitive individual and you like to ask questions, you know, when I read the Bible and I see things like that, immediately I begin to ask, what is that something that those guys have that the average Christian does not have? What's the missing thing here? And, and I personally believe that the answer is centered around one thing. And I believe all those, uh, you know, great heroes in the faith that they understood this. That, that they all understood what it truly meant to live in covenant with the Almighty God. I'm going to say that again, that they all knew what it truly meant to live in covenant with the Almighty God. Yes. Now. I recognize for a lot of us in this room, we probably have been Christians for a long time. And even though we may have seen that word in the Bible a time or two when we're reading it, we probably don't really understand what the word covenant means. And, and the truth is, 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 you know, for me, I was a Christian for a number of years before I really ever understood that. And in fact, you know, some of you guys met, uh, you know, our pastor, Pastor Al Bryce, if, you know, what, maybe two months ago. And it wasn't until it wasn't until God sent me to that church that did, did I finally ever sit under a teaching where I heard heard someone actually talk about the covenant in a deep, meaningful, and real way. And, uh, you know, I'll just say this, up until that point, as I'm sure for for many of you in this room, it's like the reason we miss this profound truth is because for most of us, we have been taught year after year to solely, don't miss that word, to solely see our salvation through the lens or through the, the, you know, whatever, through the picture of a courtroom scene. And, you know, it's in that courtroom scene where we all know that we are condemned, uh, you know, as a, as a prisoner, uh, you know, to the sentence of death and, you know, here's the judge. And before he, you know, slams his gaffle down, you know, declaring us to be eternally guilty. Uh, we know that someone jumps up, waves their hands and says, wait a minute, judge. We all know that's Jesus. And he said, you know, look, I'll take their place. I'll take their punishment. And, and of course, when, you know, Jesus did that was the judge do in essence, it appeases his wrath for the, for the, you know, the, the, whatever the wrath of our many sins and, and what happens at Leaves that judge with only one option. Obviously, he can't declare us guilty because the sin's already been dealt with. He says, look, you know, I declare you not guilty. And that, in essence, of what we talked about maybe a month ago, that at that point, we're declared righteous. We're declared forgiven. We're declared to have right standing before God. Am I making sense? We're justified. And so, listen, as as grateful as I am for that courtroom experience as I'm sure you are as well, right? I I just think probably in our heart of hearts, that, that even though we are so thankful for that supernatural moment called salvation, uh, I, I believe we all know deep down in our heart of hearts that, man, there's just got to be something more to this Christian walk, uh, walk, this Christian life, than just reliving again and again and again our salvation experience as if it is some kind of rerun from law and order. Are you all awake today? Listen, you know, I just, I just think this, that, that maybe because we've lived from that paradigm and that's all we kind of know, you know, to maybe ask ourselves, could that be the reason why so many believers struggle, struggle with connecting principles like this? It's like they, they think love, okay? There's mercy, there's faith, there's authority, there's thanksgiving, there's praise, there's holiness, there's, you know, spiritual warfare, whatever it is. It's like they, they struggle to connect the dots to all these areas. And so what happens is that so often we, we run after love for a while. Then we go, okay, okay. Oh, well, I, I need to, I need to run after praise for a while. Okay. Now I need to run after prayer. Okay. Now I need to run after this. Am I making sense? And, and so what happens is, is almost in essence, it's like we're, we're, uh, I almost say schizophrenic, but in essence, we're just going everywhere. We're busybodies. It's like we're 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 lacking the purpose and the direction we need because we're just chasing our tail a lot of times. But you, you know, maybe I could say it this way, that that could it be because we live from that paradigm, that just that salvation moment, could that be the reason that so many Christians, so many good hearted believers you know, hide behind their religious mask and they and they just go like this, man. I gotta perform, I gotta go through the motions of this, you know, the surface level rules because I gotta give an appearance to everybody else because I don't want to let them down. So I need to show them that I really love God. And the truth is, is in the middle of all that performance mentality, when you know, when everybody's gone and they're just sitting there, uh, bottom line, they're tired. And now they're tired, watch this, they're bored. <laughs> Right And they're lacking just where's the life of God? And am I making sense to you today? So, so listen, but, but what if I told you guys today that, that covenant is not only the thing that ties all of those biblical principles together, uh, but it also makes it possible for you and I to live an exciting and an engaging life with the Trinity. Would you believe me? <laughs> You're like, I'm not sure. <laughs> L- listen, if you can, I want you to consider this. Uh, there are two significant words that we find in the Bible. We could also two significant themes, whichever one you want to use, that, that literally runs like a thread throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that, that literally breathes the life of God, you know, into every area of our lives. But it also brings meaning to every single thing that we read in this book. And those uh, two words, though, two, two themes are simply this. It's called kingdom and it's called covenant, In this sense that if we don't understand kingdom and we don't understand covenant, it's going to be really hard to understand this. So listen, as I've said in the past, listen, God is indeed a king. The Bible makes that really clear. And you can't be a king without a kingdom, okay? So our God is definitely a king that has a kingdom. And guess what? He, as the ruler of his kingdom, he has chosen to deal and to communicate with his people in the past, in the present, and in the future through the guidelines and the pattern of covenant. Are you all with me today? So listen, so I think when you begin to think about that, it really shouldn't surprise us when we hear something along these lines. When somebody comes along and says, hey, it's going to be nearly impossible for you to understand the Bible. It's going to be nearly impossible for you to connect all those dots if you don't understand this. Or they say, look, it's going to be nearly impossible for you to understand the realities of what God has called you to be or who God has called you to be. In other words, it's going to be hard for you to understand your identity. It's going to be hard for you to understand the promises that were made for you through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus without understanding or without having a revelation of the kingdom and of covenant. Yes. Am I making sense? Now, now, now look, to, I'm not saying that we won't understand some things, but listen, Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. There's a fullness that comes in the kingdom. And what I'm trying to communicate today is it's going to be hard to walk in that fullness without understanding these two uh, themes or these two words. Amen. So listen, I, I think where you and I run to a, pro, run to a problem, you know, we're sitting in church wherever and we hear the word covenant and that just seems kind of foreign, kind of odd to us. We don't really understand it. And, and the reason is, is because as we all know, uh, you know, we live, we live in a society that functions as a democracy, not a kingdom. And because we live in democracy, we tend to deal with people through contract and not a covenant. Am I making sense? So, so listen, so sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our brain and our heart around, uh, you know, the kingdom culture and the covenant language that we find in the Bible. So I sell that to kind of say this, we can either do two things. I believe we have a decision to make. We we can either sit back and we can, you know, whatever, you know, get upset. And, and we can think about all those foreign principles and tell ourselves that we are at a huge disadvantage to understand those things because, because of where we live and the time period we live in. okay? Or we can realize this, we can put our faith out to the Holy Spirit and know that he's our teacher and realize that as our teacher, he has the ability to be the great equalizer when it comes to the truth of God. Right. That, that listen, once again, in spite of where we live and in spite of when we live, he has the ability to equalize or to bring a balance to all of God's people of going, here's the truth. Am I making sense? So, so listen, as we dive into this over the next however long it's going to take. I just want you to know today that my faith and I hope your faith is in the second one, that the Holy Spirit will come and he'll begin to teach us. Now, now, listen, as God's people, we, we don't sit back and go, well, well, we just want something, so let's just hope we get it. No, 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 no. Listen, we put our hope and our faith in the promises of God. And I want to show you today of why I'm saying what I'm saying, uh, of why we can have faith that God's going to show us. Look at this, Psalms 25, verse 14. It says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. If I can expound on this a bit, that word there, the secret of the Lord, actually in the Hebrew language, it actually means the friendship of the Lord. The friendship of the Lord is with those who honor and respect Him. And so as we engage in a a friendship relationship with the Lord where we honor Him and respect Him, guess what? We have a guaranteed promise today that He will make His covenant known to us. Great place to say amen. Amen. So listen, with that promise in mind, I I just want to begin today. Once again, this is foundational, and and I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at you. Grab what you can. Okay. But, but, but in this sense, I just believe uh, I want to answer one question today. And that's this, what is a covenant? Because if we don't understand the basis of that, we can't really move forward in any of this. So what is a covenant? I'm going to give you a lengthy definition here, but this is the definition we're going to work for uh, from in the weeks ahead. It simply says this, it says a covenant is a binding, unbreakable obligation between two parties based on unconditional love, sealed by blood and a sacred oath that creates a relationship in which each party is bound by specific responsibilities on each other's behalf. The parties in the covenant place themselves under the penalty of divine punishment. Should they later attempt to avoid those responsibilities, a covenant is a relationship that can only be broken by death. Look, I, I know that's wordy and I know that's long, but, but you'll, you'll see as we move forward that every single part of that, uh, you know, there, there's a significant piece in every piece of that when it comes to the covenant that God has made through His Son, Jesus Christ, for the human race. So let's read it one more time and we'll move forward. It says, A covenant is a binding, unbreakable obligation between two parties. Based on unconditional love, sealed by blood, and a sacred oath that creates a relationship in which each party is bound by specific responsibilities on each other's behalf. The parties in the covenant place themselves under the penalty of divine punishment should they later attempt to avoid those responsibilities. A covenant is a relationship that can only be broken by death. All right. Listen, while we consider that definition... Um, I, I want to point out to you simply this, that as Americans, we have probably one thing that gets the closest to, to connecting with that uh, definition, and that is simply this. It's called the covenant of marriage. It's the covenant of marriage, okay? Now, if you can kind of think about this with me for a moment, um, you know, in a Christian wedding, you, we know we have a man and we have a woman, which represents the two parties, right? Right? What happens that those guys say, yes, they come before a pastor, and yes, they come before people, but more importantly, they come before God Almighty, right. right? And what happens is, is in essence, when they come before God, that's why one when the, of when the first things we do in a, in a wedding is we pray and we invite God to come. Why? Because we're asking Him to come be a witness over the oaths or the binding promises that are about to be made. And if you remember, uh, you know, maybe way back when, when you got married, the the end of that binding promise, for me, it was almost 17 years ago, it was this, till death do us part. Right. And so in essence, it's this. When we begin to consider those oaths or those binding promises or that obligation that's made, uh, their bond is based off what? It's based off of a genuine, authentic, hopefully unconditional love for one another. Now, listen, we all know that the marriage is sealed, right, by an exchanging of gifts. It's usually in the form of a ring in our culture, right? And after we know that there's the rings, they do all that, right, you know, it's like we declare you, Father, you know, uh, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, you're so-and-so, so-and-so, kiss the bride, yay, right? What happens after that? We typically serve a meal. All this has significance, so please track with me, okay? And so what happens is, is after the meal is served, we know that the last thing that comes to seal, in essence, their marriage before the Lord is the shedding of blood through the marriage bed, right? That makes the two become one, right? So listen, this is key. From that day forward, when 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 that oath, in essence, is made, guess what? Uh... You know, those, those two parties are now wholly, uh, they now wholly give themselves to one another, right? In other words, when they wholly give themselves to one another, they surrender their lives of independence, and now they do what? Now they become responsible to not only support, but also to meet each other's needs. And it's truly, as, the, as, the, as their vows say, it's this, that, that once again, in almost every wedding I do, this comes out. All that I have and all that I am now belongs to you. Why? For they are in covenant. So listen, hear those things, and I hope today that while we're talking, just start making the connections to Jesus, right? Because once again, it's a covenant, and he's the author of covenant, right? All right, so let me give you one more thing. I just want to take a moment and give you a well-documented true story that I think that might be helpful for you and I to understand the significance and the power in covenant. So please don't miss this. Okay. Uh, This is a true story and it it happened in 1869. Here's, I'll just read it. In 1869, the New York Herald newspaper sent their overseas news correspondent, Mr. Henry Stanley to the bush of Africa. Has anybody ever heard of Henry Stanley in here? Awesome. A few of us. Yeah. Somebody said, I was in first service. (laughs) That's awesome. You cheaters. So listen, watch this. They they sent that well-known Scottish missionary explorer to find Dr. David Livingston. Has anybody ever heard Dr. David Livingston? Yes. More people. Watch this. So it, it was said that Dr. Livingston had disappeared for six years. So literally this guy, uh, you know, he's a missionary and explorer. He's in Africa and, and nobody in his family, nobody, none of his friends, nobody had heard from him in six years. And so they tapped Henry Stanley on the shoulder and say, hey, look man, can you go find some proof for us if the man's either alive or if he's dead? And so, uh, you know, before Stanley found Livingston in 1871, it took him a few years to find him. But, but before he found him, he encountered a powerful uh, warlike tribe on his expedition, obviously an African tribe. And, and what happened was, is when he, when he encountered this tribe, he was, in, he was in such poor physical health, he couldn't fight them off. And so being aware of Mr. Stanley's poor condition, his African interpreter, he suggested that he make covenant with the tribe's chief. In response, Stanley asked the young man what it meant to make covenant and was told that it meant drinking each other's blood. So Mr. Stanley initially opposed to such a ritual, but as you can expect, but as conditions grew worse and even more dangerous, the young interpreter urged him again to cut a covenant with the chief. This time, instead of rejecting the idea, Stanley asked what the results would be. Uh, to that, the interpreter answered, Everything the chief has "...will be yours if you need it." Because of this, Stanley agreed. So after days of negotiation between Stanley and the chief, the terms of the covenant were reached, which also meant an exchange of gifts would occur. So what did the chief want? The chief wanted Stanley's white goat and nothing less in exchange for his seven-foot copper-wound spear. Now, the crazy part is we think just to go, but, but the idea of this exchange was disheartening Stanley since he was in such poor health that the goat's milk was about all he could do, uh, you know, all it could take for his nourishment. So it was very hard for him to give it up because in essence, he felt like he was giving his life away, right? But the chief seemed to want nothing else. So Stanley relented and gave him the goat and received Christ's spear, Christ's spear, the chief's spear in exchange. Watch this. This exchange left Stanley feeling as if he had gotten the lesser end of the deal, but as he would soon find out, that wasn't the case at all. So watch this. Next at the commandment of the chief. Okay, so these guys are in agreement. Here's my goat. Here's my spear. So next what happened at the command of the chief, the tribal priest comes out and he brought forth a cup of wine. Now at that point, the old chief selected one of his sons. He selected a prince to come forward, and then he required Stanley to select one of his fellow men, and he chose a young Englishman. So in that moment, both of the chosen men were called substitutes, this is huge, for the covenant makers as well as representatives, another important word, for the two parties. In other words, these two guys, so the the, the young son, he represented, yes, the chief, but he also represented the entire tribe. On the other hand, you had the young Englishman who was representing Stanley, but he was also representing the entire uh, foreign expedition crew. Yeah? So, so what happened was, is after the two men came forward, the priest made a cut or an incision in each man's wrist and let their blood drip in the wine. Then the wine was stirred so the blood could be mixed. Then the priest handed the cup to the young Englishman and told him to drink, and he drank part of it. And then he handed it to the young prince, and the prince drank the rest of it. It was at that point the priest stepped back, this is important, and began to pronounce terrible curses on Stanley like he had never heard before. Then Stanley's interpreter stepped up and he pronounced curses over the chief, over the chief's wife, the chief's children, and his tribe. Curses that would come upon anyone who broke the covenant. Next, the priest had them rub their wrists together to mingle their blood as a symbol that they, once again, the chief and Stanley, had become blood brothers. Watch this. Once that was finished, the priest took gunpowder and he rubbed it in their wounds so that it would be so it would leave a visible mark or a scar uh, of their covenant. So in other words, that, that mark would remain, okay? As the final act of their ceremony, they actually went out and they planted a tree as a memorial because to them trees represented long life and what it would do is it would give a witness to generation after generation after generation the covenant that had been made. So watch this at that at that point of the covenant ceremony, once it was complete, the chief declared to his people, Come, buy, and sell with Stanley, for he is our blood brother. Now, that might not seem like much, but it's a huge turn of events in this sense. Because only a few hours before, here Stanley and his men—they are uh, guarding all of their possessions in fear that this tribe is going to attack them and take everything that they own and leave them with nothing in this, you know, foreign land. And literally like that, here's what happens: that they could literally went from that to they could leave it all around in the road and uh, you know wherever they wanted to, and nobody would touch it. And the reason nobody would touch it is because if somebody stole it from them, in essence, it had been stolen from the chief. And not only would they steal from the chief, but it would also be something that broke the covenant. And, and the covenant was viewed as something so serious that even if, uh, you know, somebody, you, you know, let's say this man, you know, stole whatever, uh, you know, a gun, whatever. Then what would happen was is even his wife, his children, his closest relatives would report him to the chief and that man would be put to death. That's how serious it was. And so, you know, because of the seriousness of it, you know, Stanley and Livingston later remarked how they had never seen in all their years in Africa, they had never seen one single person break the covenant because of how sacred it was viewed. So, what's well, just important here. Do you remember the, the seven-foot copper-wound spear? Listen, it turns out that uh, everywhere Stanley went in Africa, the spear proved to be more powerful than the goat he had exchanged it for because the spear represented the old chief's authority. Therefore, when the other tribesmen saw it, they would bow down, bow down and submit to Stanley. Why would they do that? It's because, once again, they understood the sacredness of the covenant. Now, here's what's so neat to me. In, in Henry Stanley's books, when he, where he writes about his explorations in Africa, he said that he, you know, he cut covenant uh, over 50 times with different tribes. And, and, you know, you go, what would make a man do that? And I, and I think what made him do that is the same thing that that missing something that the heroes of the faith we talked about earlier is what they had. And simply this, that all of those guys had learned to put their life and their confidence in the power of the blood covenant. So, are you all with me today? So in essence, listen, as we learn this, what I'm trying to say to you today is as believers, we need to learn how to put our life and our confidence in the blood covenant. Amen. So let's shift gears. All right. So listen, while a lot of people hear that story and they'll go, man, that that is a uh, pagan ritual and, and, you know, they kind of turn their nose up to it. I, I I disagree with that. And the reason I disagree is this, is I believe the Bible makes it very clear that the idea of Cutting covenant finds its origin in the heart and the mind of God. Amen? That literally when we begin to look at the word, we begin to find, uh, you know, similar, for lack of a better word, similar patterns, similar elements, all throughout the Bible when God chose to make covenant with his people. They might not have cut their wrists. But there's but there's definitely a pattern and elements of the same things that happen. And what I'm trying to ta- say to you today is simply this. That maybe by chance the way we were created in the image of God. The reason these people do stuff is because they're created in that image. So they naturally begin to do these things because God deposited in there. Amen. So let me, let's land this thing. But before we do, I want to give you seven essential elements of the covenant. Seven essential elements elements of the covenant. If you can just jot these down, we'll dive more into them in the weeks ahead. The first essential element of covenant is this. Number one, it's huge. It's the representative. It's the representative. So like the young Englishman and the chief son that we you know, heard about a few minutes ago, when a group of people uh, you know, are prepared to enter into covenant with one another, uh, they would select a man from among themselves to, get this word, to represent the whole, uh, the whole, in other words, the whole clan, the whole tribe in the covenant-making process. We just saw that. So, but here's why this is important. This representative is also known, I'm going to give you some biblical words here. They're also known as the substitute. And they're also known as the, uh, the one who would guarantee the covenant. In other words, that person was the one, in essence, that sealed the deal, Okay. Now, let me maybe simplify this a bit. You know, as Americans, we tend to see everyone as individuals, right? But the Bible introduces us to a different way of thinking in which people are, don't miss this, that people are in the person who represents them. Okay, so the, the people, okay, let's say all the people are actually in the person that represents them. So much so that the, that the representative's actions and the representative's achievements become their actions and their achievements for the whole family, for the whole clan, for the whole tribe. Let me, let me give you an example maybe that some of us can understand this room. Okay, uh, we live in New England, right? And there's people who love the patriots in here. Fair enough. Here's what's so funny is this, is that, is that, you know, when, when New England wins, right, all the Pats fans scream, we won, right? And when we don't win, we, we, we lost, right? And we have a meltdown, right? And and so in essence, what's so funny is we all declare that we have won, but in all reality, we didn't even walk in the stadium and we didn't even set a foot on the, on the field. Are y'all live today? Yes. So, so listen, it, it's in essence, it's this, if we realize it or not, I'll bring it into our world of Christianity that Jesus stood as our representative. And by doing so, he not only became our substitute, but he also became the guarantee or the assurance of the new covenant. So in short, when he won, guess what? We won, right? Even though what we never touched the cross, yeah, that's true. right? See the Bible tells us in Galatians two twenty: I have been crucified with Christ. Yeah. When did that happen? Right. It's amazing, man. I have prayed that scripture thousands of times, but when did I touch the cross? I I never touched it, but I was in Christ 2000 years ago when he died on the cross because he was my representative. And so once again, when he won, I won what he uh, achieved through that process. It was given to me as well. Y'all with me? Second thing, and we'll speed it up here. The second central element of the covenant covenant is this. It's the oath. Listen, as we said earlier, one of the reasons you and I have a hard time understanding covenant is because we are so used to dealing with contracts. And the biggest difference between the two is this, is contracts are negotiable, right? And they're negotiable by both parties, and they can even be changed, they can be canceled. And as some of us have experienced in our lives, a contract is only as good as the character of the people who sign on the dotted line. Right? And, and therefore, what? A contract, they're really designed to be easily broken. Whereas a covenant is totally different because it, it goes way beyond, once again, uh, just the exchange of properties, because it's the giving of one's whole self to another, and that cannot be altered. Right. right? You see, covenant is made with an oath that binds the individuals to the fulfillment of the words spoken during the covenant process. And ceremony. So I'll go back to what we said earlier. When I stood in an altar with with this, you know, lovely gal here, you know, almost 17 years ago, and we made our oath, our covenant, a promise to one another. Guess what? I now became accountable to all those words that I said right? And that was designed to be a covenant that was not meant to be broken. It wasn't a contract that's, you know, easy to get out of. It was a covenant that once again, till death do us part, right? So listen, in that idea, that's why God said this to us in Psalms 89, 34. He says, my covenant, I will not break. Isn't that good news? It says, nor alter the word that goes, that has gone out of my lips, the third essential element of covenant is this. It's the promise. Every covenant has promises, terms, and responsibilities that are not only spoken, but they're also written down so they can be revisited on a later date. Right? Uh, we, listen, we all know that Jesus is the promised son right? Y'all hang in there with me. We all know that he's a promised son. We all know that he is the written word that's been given to us so we can revisit it again and again and again on a later date, even though he died 2000 years ago, we can still revisit the promises. Amen. So, but I want to, but I want to give you another one because it's something uh, physically that we see. And you, you know, I'll, I'll pick on Lynette here. This might mean something a little bit to her, but, but listen, Genesis nine says this, says, here is a sign, a promise that you and future generations that my loving covenant will endure between me and you. It says, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant with you. So God said to Noah, the rainbow is my signature. I love that. In the sky, my seal, my promise of love to confirm that I have kept my covenant between me and every living thing on the earth. The fourth essential element of a covenant is this. It's the sacrifice. Really quick, as we saw earlier, at the making of covenant, there is always the shedding of blood. In fact, you cannot have a covenant unless blood is shed. right? So listen, we find this from the very beginning at the very first covenant that was made in Genesis 3 all the way to the sacrificial death of Jesus in the gospel. So the bottom line is really this. Is that if you can get a hold of this, that the new covenant would be obsolete. It would it would never even happened if Jesus wouldn't have shed his blood, right. but because the Bible tells us that there's life in the blood, and also says that with without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness. There's no covenant without blood. The fifth one is this: it's the the fifth essential element of a covenant is the seal. The seal. The thing that this is the thing that marked or identified two individuals. As covenant partners, what was it? It was the scars that were in their wrist. And you know, when I was just kind of praying, preparing, what I thought about here is this is man, maybe that's why it was so powerful to think about when Thomas in John chapter twenty actually touched in essence the seal of the covenant when he touched the holes in Jesus' hands. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. So 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 listen in Isaiah forty nine I think that's one side where where we see it in God, but but he also does says this in Isaiah forty nine, verse sixteen, he says, Indeed I have inscripted a picture of you on the palm of my hand. Why? Because it's a remembrance of the covenant that he's made with us. Sixth essential element of the covenant is this it's the meal. Every covenant ended with a meal between two representatives. Watch this. And the, and the common trend, the pattern, is that they would eat from the same bread and they would drink of the same wine. Once that was complete, that transaction there, once that was complete, it declared that the covenant was now valid and it was in effect. So, listen, maybe that better explains why we do what Luke 22 says when Jesus said this. Y'all listen to this. It says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover what meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in where? The kingdom of God. Amen. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Bread and wine, right? After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people and an ra- agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Yeah. So that changes why we do what we do. Right. That we don't just go through some ritual and we eat a cracker and we, you know, whatever, drink some grape juice. No, no, no. We are saying that, God, we remember the covenant once again that you made with us over 2,000 years ago. Amen. The last one is this, is, is the seventh essential element of covenant is the memorial. So as we read a while ago, the covenant parties, when they would get done with the covenant, they would do what? If they lived in an area, they'd go plant a tree once again to remember for generation after generation after generation. But what did they do when they didn't live in an area that had trees? The Bible says again and again that they would take rocks and they would stack them up. And they would set up a memorial or an altar, if you will, that would give a remembrance or memorial, once again, for the covenant that was made. Yeah. And, and truth be told, what happened a lot of times is they would stack the rocks and then they would eat the meal on top of it. So just a thought for you, that maybe that's why we as Christians, we continue to look back at a cross and celebrate a cross because it is the memorial, of the covenant that yeah. God has made with us. So good. Yes, that it's not just some symbol that's so cute and makes good jewelry right it's a covenant amen? amen all right closing thoughts and we'll be done and pastor tommy's going to come and give you some announcements here's what I want us to walk away with today It's simply this that that god is not only a covenant making god but he is a covenant keeping god as well yeah. right so so listen for me personally when i learned some of this i know that was a lot lot of details and i'm talking fast and all that. But listen, when I begin to grab a hold of this stuff, I'm telling you the way I prayed changed. The way I worshiped changed. The way I read my Bible clearly changed. And guess what? Not only did my interaction with God change, but also my interaction with people changed. And here's what I mean by this. Because there's a term in covenant that we throw around lightly and we don't understand that it finds its root in covenant. It's called the word friend. Because there's something about when I realize that, guess what, that we are a covenant people together. Guess what? We begin to treat each other different because now we have responsibility to one another. Am I making sense? So, so just a thought for you, and I'll, and I'll uh, maybe end with this. So, you know, once again, so often we look and we go, God sees us as individuals. But, but I want you to understand today that he sees us more as a whole than what we give him credit for. Yeah. And, and I base it off this. If, when you look at when Joshua took over basically leading the Israelites, we know the first place he went to was Jericho. They marched around the wall and the walls fell, right, and they got a victory, right? And then they go up next place to Ai, and what happens is they go to fight and they got their butts handed to them. And they retreated, and then they went again, got whooped again, came back, and they began to go, God, what's the deal? Why are we, getting, why are we losing, right? Why, why are you not doing what you did at Jericho? And, and God begins to deal with them. And what they found out, that there was a man named Achan that came and took stuff when they when they you know plundered Jericho, and he touched stuff that he wasn't supposed to touch, and he buried it under his tent. But watch this: God God said yes, there's sin in the camp. But notice he just didn't deal with Achan, he dealt with a whole community because of one man's sin. So if we don't think that God looks at things a little different than we do, we need to realize that That as a church, he looks at us as one, yes? And by church, I mean the the church. Amen? Amen. If you can, just stand to your feet. I just believe this, and I'm going to pray, that that if we're going to fully understand who God has called us to be and understand how he's called us to live, then I think it's imperative that we begin to seek out and begin to learn the covenant that God has made with us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let me pray. (laughs) Father, thank you for today. Lord, I'm just asking over the next few weeks, God, that you would stir our hearts. God, that you would help us uh, just stir our hunger and our passion. God, to know everything that you've made for us, once again, by the covenant, through Jesus. And so, Lord, I, I realize that today there's... Uh, maybe a lot of unfamiliar terms that we're using. But, Lord, I just ask, God, that you begin to shine your light and you would help us to understand in the Spirit, to help us understand, God, what you're saying and what you're inviting us into. And, uh, God, so we can live as those men of old did, God, with great confidence And whatever we face. We know that you're with us. Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.